Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. History has painted Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn in two very different hues. One wife, one mistress, one Spanish, one French, one committed Catholic, one radical reformer. But a new exhibition at Hever Castle examines one curious moment of confluence right in the midst of the crucial year of 1527. It's a moment that suggests that Catherine and Anne had more in common than we normally imagine. I went to Hever Castle to speak about it with assistant curator Kate McCaffrey. We started by looking at two books of ours, one owned by Hever Castle that belonged to Anne and one borrowed from the Morgan Library in New York that belonged to Catherine. So, Kate, this is the book of ours that you know belonged to Anne Boleyn. How do we know it's Anne's? Well, we know that this book of ours was once owned by Anne thanks to this beautiful inscription that we have at the bottom of this page here which reads, remember me when you do pray, that hope doth lead from day to day. And you can see a careless binder has later cut her signature slightly at the bottom. <laughs> I guess they didn't know they were doing that when they yes, chopped into it. Exactly. That is amazing, isn't it? This little line of poetry, her signature. It's probably the closest you can feel to her when you're looking at her writing in her book. So tell me about books of ours generally. What were they for? So Books of Hours were Catholic prayer books. They were based on the scripture. Um, they were predominantly written in Latin, although they did include vernacular prayers and psalms as well. And they were called Books of Hours because of the hours of the day that you were supposed to say the prayers at. So there were eight specific canonical hours based on monks and monastery life and their religious day-to-day. -day. And this is a Book of Hours, and Anne would have owned several of them and used them as well. It looks beautiful. It looks like a manuscript, but this is actually a printed book, isn't it? This is a printing, yes. It was printed in Paris by a prolific printer, Germain Hardouin, and it's been hand-decorated, which is why it looks more like a manuscript. So we see this trend a lot in printed culture in the early 16th century. It's the idea that you could have a cheaper printing, but you could elevate it to look like a manuscript, so to kind of emulate that manuscript culture through hand decoration. So you can see there is gold as well, which still has some nice pigment. So the initials have been added by hand, the borders and the images themselves as well. How did this book survive? Well, we know that this book survived through a network of Kentish women who were local to here at Hever Castle. And we know this because I found four further inscriptions within this book. And I can show you one of those now for what it looks like to the naked eye here at the bottom of the page. 
And this one is signed by a Mary West, who is an extended member of the Guildford family from mm. Cranbrook in Kent. And so that is sort of amazingly rubbed out now, but you so cleverly discovered that you can see it under ultraviolet light. Yes, ultraviolet light is an absolutely useful tool for reading inscriptions like this that have been erased, so it's very helpful. I think it's a real story of personal loyalty to Anne, why these women kept her book safe in the years after her destruction. Is that the Guildford family related to Sir Henry Guildford? Yes, indeed. Yes, it's the same family. How interesting, because he was a great supporter of Catherine of Aragon. He was. And interestingly, members of the Gage family also owned this book and have written in it. And they were also more supporters of Catherine of Aragon than of Anne Boleyn. But I think it could be a case of the women in the family putting aside political or religious affinity and instead having some kind of personal connection to Anne, because it really is the women in the family who kept this book rather than the men. Yes, and that is a testament to Anne's character, that she was the sort of charismatic person who inspired that loyalty. Definitely, and I think a testament as well to her friendships. We don't often look much at Anne's female friendships, but obviously she had female supporters like those who kept this book safe. Yes, and what do you think a book like this tells us about Anne's faith and how she experienced religion? I think it's a really personal, intimate insight into Anne's religious beliefs. We traditionally associate her today with religious reform, and this is a more traditionally Catholic text. But I think it's an important example of how Anne's interest in reform came from a genuine, rooted interest in religion in general. And to be engaged with reform, you had to be engaged with the traditional religion first to know what you wanted to change. But what is particularly interesting is that the English prayers in this book have clearly been used more uh, than the Latin ones. Perhaps speaks both to Anne's level of Latin, but also her interest in the vernacular and common tongues, which ties into her love of reform. Can we have a look at those? Yes. So here are the English prayers. Yes, so they start just here with O Glorious Jesu. And you can see down here that this page has been particularly well used. There's markings and creasings, which could be representative of people thumbing the page as they read. It was a very interactive process prayer. So it's hard to pinpoint exactly which are Anne's marks and which were other owners, apart from her signature, of course. Now, the really interesting thing is that you don't just have one of these here in this exhibition. You have an almost identical book that was owned by Catherine. We do indeed. It's a very special item. Can we compare? Yes, let's. So this is the same book. This is the exact same copy of the same printing by Germain Hadouin in Paris. And this is the same page that I've opened Anne's on to Catherine's. First of all, let's just think for a second how extraordinary a thing it is yes. that Anne and Catherine had the same book. Tell me about that. What do you make of it? It's such an intriguing connection. When I made the connection between the two, I just thought it was such a rare glimpse of a moment of unity amidst a lot of personal turmoil at the time of these books' production. But I think it's an unusual one, really. We think of Catherine and Anne as being at odds so much, particularly in religion, and as being rivals in religion, with Catherine being more traditionally Catholic and Anne more reformist. So for them both to have owned the same prayer book and to have an actual moment of unity through prayer, I think is really almost slightly confusing at first. It's exciting. So that's fascinating. So what we're looking at here is what looks like a nativity scene. Is that right? Yes, this is the nativity scene. But the illumination is really quite different, isn't it? It's very different. And it's particularly interesting because the woodcut underneath would have been the same. So 
Catherine's, I mean, for a start, it looks like we're outside. And we've yes. got a castle wall behind. And the man is much younger here. He's much older. And they're definitely inside, I guess, in a stable. Yes. And uh, the fact this is framed completely differently mm -hmm. as well is really startling. I think we can't ignore that some of this may have just been the artistic preference of the artist. But specifics, like you've mentioned, the gold page borders, Anne's also has extra red and blue corner decoration and these elliptical frames which are inscribed. That certainly to me seems like a personalised choice. So we have to imagine then that when the books were commissioned, the patron said, OK, this is what I want. I want this level of detail, or this sort of package of illumination. Yes, absolutely. This is where the personalisation comes in. And you can see that Anne's has been decorated to a more extravagant level. Yes. It looks like the illumination of the letters is exactly the same. So maybe that's, this is the standard package. Mm -hmm. And would you like the bronze or silver or gold <laughs> exactly. edition? Exactly, I think. And also through different artists down the production line, one likely would have done the initials. And then it would have been passed to artists to, to draw and colour in the woodcuts. Um, so there's Anne's definitely, it was from a higher bonus package, I would say. <laughs> and... It feels like it speaks to Anne's ambition or perhaps more fairly her aspiration at this time. I think it speaks to both, definitely. And I think through Anne's decoration here, she's really emulating a queenly status, which she is hoping and wanting to gain soon. Can we talk about what this tells us about Catherine's faith? Because in this one, you were looking at the English prayers and the fact that we can see use there. Is there anything like that in Catherine's book? Yes, so in Catherine's book, she actually had Latin prayers added at the beginning of the book on the fly leaves. They're manuscripts, they've been written by hand, not printed, and they have been very well used. The text itself has been rubbed away through a devotional process of prayer. Ah, so it's a kind of physical prayer that you would trace yes. your finger over what you were reading, perhaps. Exactly, it wasn't just spoken, it was also uh, felt. And that was in the book from the very beginning? Yes, it looks like they were added at production, so it's a real customization. And we know that those would have been there when Catherine owned it if they were there from the very beginning? Yes, exactly. So it's a really intriguing addition. How do we know that this book was Catherine's, by the way? So we know that this book was Catherine's because of an inscription at the back, not by Catherine, sadly, like Anne's, is signed by her. It's by a later owner of the book, and it states that this book was once Good Queen Catherine's. And it also states some later provenance that shows that this book was in a similar arc to Anne's, kept safe by people close to Catherine. Ah, so that's fascinating. This book has survived in exactly the way this one has, because people who had served each woman had decided to keep it close. Absolutely, it's another story of personal loyalty. And we should comment on what an extraordinary thing it is that we have these two books within centimetres of each other, because this book normally lives in New York in the Morgan Library, and you've brought it here for this exhibition, precisely that we can see this moment of confluence between the two. Absolutely. It's been a project for several years now to get this book over, Catherine's book from New York. And we really do think that it's likely the first time in 500 years, maybe even since their production, that these books have been in the same room together. It's a beautiful reuniting in a way. Do you think they would have ever been in the same room together when Catherine and Anne owned them? 
So it's very hard to say, but we do know that these kinds of books, if they were presented to the Queen and members of her household, of which Anne was one at this point, that the women would have read together. They would have read their prayer books, read their books of hours together as an appropriate leisure activity. But it's hard to say if they sat down just the two of them and read it. I suspect not. I suspect not because of when these were produced. Yes. 1527 is when it all happened really. By 1527, Anne has accepted the king's proposal. She knows that she's going to one day be the wife of the king and become queen. But Catherine is still the queen and the wife of the king. So it's a really interesting point where we have both women's stories set, their paths are set in very diverging directions. But Anne's star at this point is very much on the rise, which perhaps is reflected in the decoration of her book. And Catherine's is sadly slightly on the wane. But Catherine's going to go down fighting because this is the year in which Henry's looking for an annulment. Exactly. She is not going to go down without a fight, which is absolutely characteristic of her. You know, they were both very brilliant, stubborn women, which is maybe a little bit of a type that Henry had. (laughs) He went for the formidable. (laughs) He did. The formidable and intelligent ones, definitely, with Catherine and Anne. Join me, Dallas Campbell, on Patented, a podcast by History Hit, where we bring you the fascinating histories of the world's most impactful inventions. We uncover the exceptional stories behind everyday objects. Snakes and Ladders is really a game about a karmic journey through stages of existence towards liberation. Look back in time to understand technologies of the future. One of the really interesting things about it is that it showed just how hard AI in the real world really is. And we examine unexpected origins. Who or what invented sex? Yeah, fish. Fish were the ones that invented copulation and made sex intimate for the first time. For the answer to those questions and a whole lot more, subscribe to Patented on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Join me for new episodes every Wednesday and Sunday. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is After Dark. Myths, misdeeds and the paranormal. The podcast that takes you to the shadiest corners of the past, unpicking history's spookiest, strangest and most sinister stories. I'm Maddie Pelling. And I'm Anthony Delaney. Join us every Monday and Thursday and we'll take a look at the darker side of history from haunted pubs to Houdini to witch trials and arsenic-laced breakfasts. Follow After Dark, Myths, Misdeeds and the Paranormal wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by History Hit. I was at Heva, I met up with assistant curator Dr. Owen Emerson, who showed me into a part of the castle that I had never seen before. It's an intimate room in which he thinks Anne received her letters from Henry in that crucial year of 1527. Owen, when 
Anne came back to the English court in 1522. What sort of court was she entering? The court is a very fluid thing, actually. It moves from space to space. So we have the palaces of Richmond, Greenwich and Westminster, and the court will be continually on the move. And Anne enters into what is quite a sophisticated court as Catherine's maid of honour. What did that mean for her days in practice? On a day-to-day -day basis, they are essentially Catherine's companions. They are praying with her, reading to her, and also carrying messages and being a front-facing sort of representation of the Queen's household. This was an incredibly colourful and sumptuous environment that Anne was going into. You can just get a flavour of that from the clothes that Catherine is wearing here. She's in red velvet and cloth of gold, and she is completely bejeweled. This is a really glittering environment, and it must have been a really dazzling environment for the young Anne Boleyn to enter into. You've got the Tudor roses on one side and the pomegranate on the other Catherine's symbol, because it was the symbol of Granada. So this is where Catherine comes from and speaks to her. And I suppose it gives us a sense of what Catherine and Henry's relationship was like in the teens and 20s, early 20s. What do you think? Very much so. I mean, here we have, you know, a very potent symbol of their union. We don't just have their emblems together, but they're diminuated. They are literally spliced together. Mm. There's something very powerful about this representation of their union. And I think it's about stability and strength. This is the symbol that represents Catherine's strength and what she brought to the union. It's by bringing the two together that you produce this royal power. You've got the relatively upstart Tudors marrying into the grand Trastamara family, and now we've got a royal dynasty to really reckon with. Absolutely. This is the promise of what is to come, isn't it? It is that crowning of hope, really. We so often rush ahead and think about the fact that it fell apart. But for so long, it was such a strong union. And Henry took such strength from being with a woman like Catherine. Very much so. I think it's really dangerous, actually, to look backwards and not really focus on what were incredibly glorious years between Catherine and Henry. Oh, my word. <laughs> this is very pink. It's quite something, isn't it? So we've got a very pink 1970s bathroom here that was installed for Lady Irene Astor. And, I mean, everything, even the scales and the loo are pink and have fleur-de-lis on them. Nothing has been left untouched. Yet, this space, though it looks obviously radically different to how it looked in the 16th century, you think this space was an important space for Anne Boleyn? Absolutely. So we know that there is a window and a fireplace over here. And I believe this is the most likely location where Anne did her correspondence when she was here alone at Hever in the late 1520s. And it's interesting because it looks out over the drawbridge. So you get this sense that Anne would have been able to see anyone arriving at the castle, people bringing messages, letters from the king. That's exactly it. I mean, we know that George, her brother, is often acting as a message bearer. So I can imagine him riding in and Anne looking over to the front of the castle, seeing the horse riding in and retreating here to the most private part of the family apartments and reading those amazing letters. 
That's just given me a bit of a shiver, which is strange because it looks so <laughs> unhistorical as it currently stands, that she would have read those by now quite fruity English letters that were being written by Henry. They've moved into English. She said she's going to be his mistress, but they're separated. That that happened here is quite something. It really is. And I have a feeling that she may have kept those letters here too. <laughs> Gosh, rip it all out and see if there are any more behind the mirrors. <laughs> it's very tempting. We consider Catherine and Anne as rivals, as opposites. But how similar were Catherine and Anne then? I asked Kate Nowen what they think. They really did have a lot in common, a lot more than just a husband and a prayer book. I think they were both highly intelligent women. And I think they both, to a degree, enjoyed exercising power. So I think they had a lot in common. So in other words, when we get to this love triangle of the 1520s, where we've so often written Catherine off as being this dowdy, boring woman, which she's not at all, and Anne being this scheming seductress. And actually what we've got instead is a love triangle between three brilliant people, or at least two brilliant people and Henry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so interesting, isn't it? The fact that it is about wits, that it is about being clever and thinking their way through a problem. And that's why it becomes such a moment of butting heads, because Catherine will think her way out of the situation and think what to do. And Anne is coming up with clever solutions. Yeah, I think that's completely accurate. I think you can see both Catherine and Anne strategizing, using their intelligence to get the best opportunity for themselves. If being married to Henry VIII was indeed the best opportunity. It didn't work out well for either of them. But how fascinating to consider that had history been slightly different, these two women might have remained close friends, rather than becoming deadly rivals. The exhibition at Hever Castle runs until the 4th of June. Anne Boleyn's Book of Hours can be seen anytime at Hever Castle. Catherine's has returned to New York for a rest. to my producer Rob Weinberg my researcher Esther Arnott and Joseph Knight who edited this episode and thanks to you for listening to Not Just the Tudors from History Hit we're always eager to hear your suggestions for podcast subjects so drop me a line at notjustthetudors at historyhit.com or on Twitter at notjusttudors also if you're in need of an extra hit between podcasts do sign up to our newsletter Tudor Tuesday details of how to do that are in the notes below this podcast and please rate rank bestow multiple stars and comment on this podcast wherever you listen including on spotify it really helps more people find not just the tutors history is full of extraordinary people the tutors being just a handful in my latest film on History Hit, we meet Bess of Hardwick and go inside the incredible house that she built, a house that defines the elegance and grandeur of the Elizabethan age, a house fit for a woman who climbed to the top of the Tudor social ladder. To find out more about the life of Bess and many more fascinating figures from the past, sign up via the link in the description with the code TUDORS for an exclusive discount.